This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That is Genesis 3.1. Keep that in mind as we go through today's show, guys. I'm so thankful that you are here today. And if you hear, just right from the jump here, if you hear any birds chirping, or, you know, cars driving by or something like that. It's not just because I'm in an especially good mood. It's because this is one of like the four days in Oklahoma where it is beautiful enough to have the windows open because it's either too blazing hot and humid or it's way too cold and windy. So if you hear that in the background, sorry, it's going to be a little bit of a distraction, but maybe it'll be a polite distraction. Just also wanted to give a quick shout out to our donors. Thank you so much to all of our donors for supporting the show. And a few announcements here from the beginning. Here's one. Last week, if you missed it, we have brand new limited edition Undaunted Life hats. Look at these things. So these are branded Bill's hats. So these are very similar to the green hats that we made earlier this year. But if you can see this either on YouTube or Rumble, we have a little bit of a different patch. This is more of a, um, I guess, hunter's edition of this hat. And we're following the same color scheme as some of the Origin camo, because as you guys know, we are an Origin uh, ambassador brand. So basically, Origin, they make the best jujitsu geese on the planet. They make, you know, uh, supplements on the Jocko Fuel side, energy drinks, milk, uh, you know, protein drinks and all that. But also they do a lot of hunting stuff. And so I'm going to be hunting using their camo here in a little bit. So it's following some of that. So guys, if you want to get one of those hats that we only got like, you know, there's less than like 30 of them available left. So if you're hearing this and you want one, go to our shop and check that out on our website. Also, I have an update on the knife raffle. So I think I announced the knife raffle a couple of weeks ago, but guys, don't skip this part, even if you heard about the knife raffle last time, because there's a very interesting update to this that I'll give you at the very, very end. So for those of you that had not heard of this, our friends at Stevenson Knives out of Florida, they have graciously donated this amazing custom knife. I mean, look at this thing, and it'll go to one special supporter of undaunted.life so just to give you a little bit of the background blaine and sean stevenson wanted to help raise money for undaunted life so they donated a knife for us to raffle off but then we decided collectively that we wanted to split that money and so 50 percent is going to go to our operations here but then we decided the other 50 percent is going to go to the rescue team of the tim tebow foundation if you haven't heard me talk about the rescue team before that is the arm of the tim tebow foundation that does anti-human trafficking and child exploitation so there's some key things that they do they help prevent these things from happening to begin with they help actively rescue children and others that are stuck in child or in sex trafficking or just trafficking of any kind but then they also do survivor care because once you're taken out of these situations the the amount of physical and spiritual and mental and emotional and social support you're going to need is all there so they currently have operations in about 30 countries this includes uh, five safe homes that they're operating and they're partnering in about 13 more and 15 additional homes that they're about to get into. And the thing about it is this money that we're raising and that we're going to donate goes directly to their operations and directly to helping kids get out. We're not paying people's salaries. We're not paying for pizza parties. We're not paying for you know private jet flights. This is going directly to operations to get kids out. And we have this big, hairy, audacious goal of raising $10,000 to where it could be split between us and the Tim Tebow Foundation. We're not really close to that right now, okay? So, but I did want to give you a little bit more information on the knife, and then, you know, we'll get to this, you know, the raffle and then the special announcement. So, this is the Stevenson Knives Hunter number two. So, the blade, if you can see that there, this is a twisted pattern. So, this is 1084, and then also a 15N20 Damascus over pure nickel with a 52100 carbon steel core. So, if you're a knife guy, 
or if you're a metallurgist or something like that, that's going to make a lot of sense to you. The handle is beautiful. It's amber dyed camel bone. It's got a black G10 liner and mosaic pins. Uh, the tang is tapered. The sheath, this thing is amazing. This is a handmade top grade Herman Oak leather sheath. This knife that I'm holding right here typically retails for $450, but it's going to go to somebody that has a, a may pay way less than that. But this is how the raffle works. Any person that donates $25 through our donation website between now and October the 23rd, this ends on October the 23rd, and puts the word knife in the comments section, that's very, very important, they will automatically have their name entered into a randomized drawing for the knife. Every $25 that you donate equals one spot in the raffle. So if you donate 100 bucks, you go in the randomizer four times. If you donate 1000 bucks, more on that here in a second, you will go in the randomizer 40 times, so on and so forth. So, um, and also all the current donors to Undaunted Life, the ones that I thanked right from the top, regardless of how much or how long you've been donating, we are going to put your name in the randomizer twice just as a thank you. But obviously current donors can also make additional donations to have their name in the raffle more. And then we're going to take a video of us doing the randomizer, post that on Instagram, and we're going to announce the winner on our show on October the 26th. So most of you have already known that, but here is a big offer directly from Sean and Blaine Stevenson. Okay. So they were texting me a couple of weeks ago. They're like, Hey, how's, how's it going? And it's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're not getting as much traction this time. We know there's a lot of people out there that are hurting financially and all that. And so they said, you know what? We are so just tickled to death that people are donating money to you and to the Tim Tebow foundation, just for the chance of getting one of our knives that they decided to do this. The first five people to donate $1,000 or more to this raffle, they are going to get a Stevenson knife, regardless of the raffle, okay? And they're still going to be in the raffle, okay? So again, the first five people that donate $1,000 or more are going to get a Stevenson knife, and you can work with them on which one you want. They've got a lot of different options. It's an amazing thing. They're knives, you know, three, four, five hundred $500 knives. These are amazing knives. So if you donate $1,000 or more, you're guaranteed to get at least one knife, but then beyond that, you could win this knife, this second knife, okay? So this does include people that have already donated. So if you've donated 100 bucks. And you're like, well, I, I want to go ahead and get one of these. If you donate 900 bucks or more, you're automatically, if you're one of the first five, you're going to get a Stevenson knife and still be in the raffle. If you've donated 500 bucks, you can donate another 500 bucks and then you will be guaranteed to get one knife and then you will have a higher chance of winning a second knife. So guys, that is the information. We're so glad for Sean and Blaine Stevenson to be able to make that offer to our audience because they know that this money is going to a great cause. So to support us and the rescue team, make sure you go to our show notes and go to our donation page. So on the quick hitters for today's episode, we're going to talk about Trevor Bauer having his professional baseball career destroyed by a conniving, manipulative, gold-digging whore. Yeah, sorry, it's rough, but we're going to get into it. Also, Paw Patrol featuring a non-binary character, President Biden's egregious tweet about thoughts and prayers, RFK Jr. indicating that he plans to launch an independent bid for the 2024 presidential election, California Governor Gavin Newsom surprising his surprising veto of AB 957, and then also famous tattoo artist Kat Von D renouncing witchcraft and accepting Christ. Before we get there, I do need to flow in a few situations because I wrote this uh, episode, most of the content last week. But since then, there's been three things that I, I, I didn't want to, you know, take out of the quick hitters or to do a completely different episode because I want to make sure we get into the Andy Stanley stuff. But obviously, I need to make a few quick comments. <clears throat> the situation right now in Israel. 
So obviously Israel was attacked by a terrorist organization, Hamas. Um, as of right now, there's too much information coming out to really know what's true. So I'm going to let the dust settle a little bit before I make full on comments about it. But we're looking at as of this morning, I'm recording this Monday morning. So it's coming out a few days later. The death toll is close to a thousand. It could certainly go well beyond that. A bunch of people have been injured and kidnapped. Um, and we've seen Iran. They have claimed that they helped fund this. And if you remember just a few weeks ago, the Biden administration released $6 billion of funds to Iran. And then the the Iranians were like, yeah, we're just going to use this for whatever we, we want. Whereas the Biden administration is like, no, they're only going to use it for like, you know, textbooks and, you know, Band-Aids and Neosporin. And so obviously the Iranians, the Iranians use part of the money that we sent to them to slaughter our supposed allies. Okay, so it'd be super awesome if my tax dollars and your tax dollars weren't going to fund terrorism, but we have the Biden administration in office. And then we also have a lot of people coming out that are, they are not condemning what Hamas has done, but they're condemning Israel's response. And I would tell you, just beware of people that are not condemning terrorists that are going around slaughtering people, beheading them, shooting them in the face on the street, going door to door and pulling family members out and slaughtering them in front of each other, raping women and then parading them around for others to see. I saw a picture of a woman who was badly beaten and you can see her backside. She's wearing sweatpants and the bottom of her sweatpants, sorry, the, the, where her bottom is, where her butt is, is bloody and dirty because she had been anally and vaginally raped repeatedly by these people that are so just so oppressed by the Israelis that they were forced to do this barbarism. Right. So beware of those people. And again, that kind of gets into the moral equivalence of this. There is no moral equivalence between the plight of the Palestinian people and the Israeli people right now. Now, certainly, are there Palestinians that are not for Hamas? Yes. But we have to remember that Hamas, I'm not going to get into a big history of, you know, the Gaza Strip or anything like that. Hamas, they, these people voted for Hamas to take over their area. So these people voted for them and then they just stayed in power. But to pretend like there's a moral equivalence is ridiculous. And it just it reminded me, and a lot of people reminded me, is like, gosh, at least we don't have mean tweets, though, right? Because when Trump was in office, no new wars. And, you know, people were quiet because they didn't know what Trump was going to do. Now, all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, we have, you know, this, you know, Roomba of a human being in the White House. And there's Russia invading Ukraine. You have the pullout from Afghanistan, more on Afghanistan in a second, and then you have these attacks on Israel. And then you have Joe Biden coming out and saying, oh, no, we completely support and we stand with Benjamin Netanyahu and the entire uh, country of Israel and we're giving them whatever they need. Well, you also funded the people that are slaughtering them to the tune of $6 billion. So excuse me if I don't believe you, okay? So I completely stand with Israel. Obviously, if they do things that are outside the, the norm of just warfare, I don't support that. But just in general, I do support Israel. And I think that we should all be praying for the people of Israel, but also be praying for the non-terroristic Palestinians who are stuck. Because maybe they didn't know that they were electing a terrorist organization. Again, the non-terroristic, non-Islamist sympathizers that are in Palestine, because these are people that... You know, the money that is being sent to them should be used for aid to improve their lives, but it's not. It's being used for terrorism. But then also, within 24 hours of that, uh, over 2,000 people perished because of an earthquake in, in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan is currently being ran by the Taliban because of the United States. We basically handed over the, the government back to these, you know, uh, Islamist 
terroristic leaders. And so you can't imagine that the people that have been damaged by by this and the people that have lost people and the people that need aid are going to get that because that country as well is being ran by terrorists. But then on a slightly different note, I need to talk a little bit about Tim Ballard. So as you know, I had Tim Ballard on the show, episode 477. He is the center point of the movie Sound of Freedom. Uh, and we talked about that. There are some things that are very likely going to break. I don't know when. Glenn Beck talked about it a little bit on his show last week. But there are some allegations for some sexual assault and sexual impropriety and potentially financial impropriety as well that are going to be coming out about Tim Ballard. And so to the people that were asking me over the weekend, so are you going to delete your episode with him? Are you going to renounce him? Are you going to do all those things? Well, I still believe that we live in a country where you're innocent until proven guilty. I can say from the stuff that I've seen, it looks like he might be guilty of some of the things he's being accused of. But the answer is, is even if he's found completely guilty of everything, of course, I'm not going to take down the episode. I was wary of interviewing Tim Ballard from the beginning because I had heard some things from some people that knew him and knew how he operated and said, you got to be careful with this guy all the way up to, hey, you can't talk to this guy. It's going to be a disaster. But he has brought light and the movie has brought light to a very, very horrific thing, child sex trafficking. And he is going to be probably an imperfect vessel for something like this. But I'm just going to let the interview stand on its own two feet. I tried to make the interview more about what he experienced as opposed to the organizations that he might be using for his, you know, sexual and financial piccadillies. Okay. So if something breaks on the Tim Ballard stuff, we will certainly talk more about that. But as of right now, I don't really have much more to say because there's not much more to say about it. But before we get into the main topic for today, I did want to just kind of bring this up. The financial status of most Americans and most American families is not great. Okay, so there was a recent Gallup poll that said 88% of non-retired Americans are very worried about having enough money to retire, 88%. In that same poll, only 19% of non-retired Americans even think they will have enough money to retire comfortably. I mean, 19%, that's terrible. The thing is, though, the reality is much worse than that, because I've seen estimates that claim that roughly 95% of non-retired Americans are currently not on track to be able to retire. And that is only concerning savings and investments. So that doesn't even account for people that are exposed to serious financial problems if they were to get sick or hurt and wouldn't be able to work, or God forbid they pass away without having a plan in place to keep their family financially whole. So that's why I want to introduce you to my personal friend and my financial advisor, Mike McCall with Bluecrest Financial. So Mike can help you reach your chosen financial goals by helping you develop an overall plan to ensure that you and your family's financial success is going to be possible, okay? So this could be IRAs, it could be stocks, it could be rollovers, life insurance, long-term care, disability income. That's the stuff that Mike can help you with, okay? So just imagine the peace of mind that comes with knowing that you are taking proactive steps or have taken proactive steps towards financially securing you and your loved ones, okay? Think about the legacy that you could leave behind. And that's, you know, something that really would reflect your conservative values and the hard work you put in throughout your life. So I personally trust Mike McCall with my financial planning. So I think that you should at least give him a shot. So to receive a free personal and or business financial assessment, there is a link in the show notes where you can book a 15-minute Zoom call with Mike, okay? So that link will be in the show notes. Guys, do not try to piecemeal your own financial plan. Let an expert help you. Again, go to the link that is in the bio. There is a link in the bio where you can go and schedule your free assessment with Mike. Okay, now we're about to get into it. Got to take a big drink of water here. Andy freaking Stanley, okay? I don't want this podcast to be the here's the latest thing that Andy Stanley said that was so ridiculous and heretical, but 
We do need to kind of keep this thread going on something that's been happening. And I just got to tell you, personally, I'm pretty frustrated because I had a plan for today's episode that I've been working on for a couple of months and I really wanted to talk about it and it was going to be pretty valuable and it was going to kind of be a unique thing. And now I have to push that plan for at least, you know, a month because I got some hunting trips coming up. So we're releasing a lot of interviews here soon. So Andy Stanley's just dorking up my life. So I'm not, you know, a huge fan of that. But if you are new to the show, which we have a lot of new listeners, I want to go ahead and bring you up to speed. Okay. So I used to be a big Andy Stanley guy. I used to listen to his sermons all the time for years. He came and spoke at my church. I was attending at the time, Life Church, way back in the day. And I was like, this guy's really interesting. He communicates well. And I just started following him. <clears throat> but then he started saying some weird stuff, like we should unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. He started saying things or kind of pointing towards some kind of more liberal ideologies. And he was kind of like moseying towards deconstruction seemingly is where he's on path now. And so earlier this year, episode 423 of this podcast that I released, I think in January, it's called Andy Stanley is a heretic. And so the big question that I asked in that episode is, is it fair to call Andy Stanley a heretic? And so the definition of heretic from the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language is, quote, specifically in theology, a professed believer who adopts and persistently maintains religious opinions contrary to the accepted standards of his church, unquote. So by that definition, because of what Andy Stanley has said in public about LGBTQ identifying people, yes, you can absolutely categorize Andy Stanley as a heretic, okay? Then we had episode 499 a few weeks ago called Update. Andy Stanley is still a heretic. And the reason why we did an update episode is because that was about the Unconditional Conference, okay? So the Unconditional Conference, you probably heard about it. <clears throat> this was targeted at church staff and parents of supposedly LGBTQ plus identifying children, okay? The speakers that were going to be there were certainly Andy Stanley, a bunch of LGBTQ affirming individuals, but also specifically two guys that are supposedly Christians that are also married to men. I say marriage with, you know, big scare quotes there. Married to men. So these are people that are not hiding from their LGBTQ identity. These are not people that are like, oh, you know, I'm trying to see what I can do for the sake of Christ. These are people that are just actively going out of their way to, you know, do this type of thing. And unfortunately, I got, <laughs> I'm going to have to like literally take a break because uh, I got to close my window because I can literally hear people working on the lawn. So one second, we're doing it live, doing it live, closing the window. I could have edited that out, but hey, we're we're running a we're running our own thing here. And then we got the dog me barking downstairs. Okay, so let's get out of the chaos. Let's get back to what we were talking about. So I did episode 499 before this conference even happened. And so it's kind of weird. It's like, how are you so fired up about a conference that hasn't happened yet? Well, I also did episode 502 of this podcast called How Often Do You Think About the Roman Empire? And the first quick hitter was about Al Mohler calling Andy Stanley out by name. And this was also before the conference had even happened, okay? So he wrote an article for World. But since then, the conference has happened. Here we are in October. The conference took place on September the 28th and 29th. So after the conference was over, I was actually expecting to see a bunch of clips floating around the internet showing, you know, ridiculously heretical, left-wing, woke rhetoric from the, the speakers at the conference, but I didn't see any. I didn't see anything. After the conference was over, I was expecting to see a bunch of blogs from, you know, conservative Christian outlets and, you know, bloggers and podcasters discussing uh, <clears throat> just the horrific stuff that was said at the conference, but I didn't see any of that either. 
Actually, the very first thing that I saw about the conference after it happened was an article by churchleaders.com with this headline, Andy Stanley affirms traditional view of marriage following controversial unconditional conference. And my initial reaction was just slack-jawed shock. Wait, wait, Andy Stanley affirmed traditional marriage? Looks like I'm going to have to eat a bunch of crow, right? But then I started to read the article. It started out by saying that on the Sunday following the unconditional conference, which again was held at his church, North Point Community Church, that Andy Stanley took a break from his normal sermon series to do a one-off message directly responding to the public criticism of him and North Point regarding the unconditional conference and more specifically to the public criticism levied by Al Mohler. Okay? He said that he wanted to address the misinformation that he called it floating around about the purpose of the conference. But there was one article, or sorry, one sentence from the article that really caught my eye. It was in the second paragraph, and it said this, quote, Prior to Sunday's worship service, the pastor sent out an announcement explaining that he would be addressing why the church hosted the Unconditional Conference on Thursday and Friday, and that there wouldn't be a live stream of the service this week. That's weird. Kind of begs the question, why in the world would Andy Stanley not live stream this message? I mean, in his own words, in the announcement to the members of North Point, he said, a great deal of misinformation is circulated regarding the purpose of the conference, and I do not want you to be misinformed. That's a direct quote from him. So why would he not want the greater North Point community and Christian community to hear what he has to say? We'll certainly get more into that a little bit later. But then the website Protestia, that's P-R-O-T-E-S-T-I-A, Protestia, acquired and released the audio from the sermon, this hidden sermon that Andy Stanley, you know, was hiding from the rest of the world. Now, I'm going to provide a link in the show notes to this audio so you can go listen for yourself. It's not super high quality, but you can clearly understand the words he's saying. I was not able to rip the audio <clears throat> to include it in the show today. That's probably a good thing because I have a sneaking suspicion that there are some staff members at North Point that are listening to my show and waiting for me to slip up so I don't have express written permission to use large chunks of the audio in my show. So I'm actually going to read for you from the transcript of the sermon. So there is a lot of interesting stuff from the sermon, but I want to focus in on the main part, which is where he supposedly clarifies North Point's position on what he calls the New Testament sexual ethic which is weird because he could have just said biblical sexual ethic, but I think he's specifically focusing on the New Testament for a purpose. So we're going to dig in here. It's a long excerpt, so go ahead and buckle up. <clears throat> this is essentially one narrative, so I'm leaving off you know, half sentences and kind of verbal mess up so that it flows a little better while I'm reading it, but I'm not going to remove a single word of relevant context. This is Andy Stanley talking during his sermon in front of North Point Community Church after the Unconditional Conference on Sunday, October the 1st. Okay. What do we believe? What does our church believe? In churches our size, you can find individuals who believe just about anything, everything, and nothing. The better question, perhaps, is the question, what do we teach? What do we teach your children, your grandchildren? What do we teach about these issues? And it's the same thing we have taught for 28 years. Nothing has changed. As it relates to sexuality, here's what we teach. And hopefully you notice, I feel like you've been coming for a while there. There should be no question about this but I don't mind just putting it out there. We teach what I refer to as a New Testament sexual ethic. So from middle school to high school, to college, to singles, to marrieds, to single again, every age and stage of life, this is what we teach. Whether a student is straight or gay or questioning, this is what we say. Hey, if you're going to follow Jesus while you're figuring this out, 
if you're going to follow Jesus as you struggle with your identity or some of the things that you're feeling, if you're going to follow Jesus, here's what it looks like sexually to follow Jesus. And the reason your Heavenly Father's called you to live this way is because He loves you. Here it is. It's just three statements. Number one, honor God with your body. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you and your body is how people know what you believe and where you stand and your behavior through your body is to exemplify the goodness of God and the grace of God and the love of God. So you always honor God with your body and you always honor other people's bodies. Number two, don't be mastered by anything, not by porn, by sexual addiction. Don't be mastered by another person. Don't be mastered by your infatuation. Don't be mastered by your lust. Don't be mastered by anything. You have a master and he's a king and he loves you and he created you and he knows what's best for you. And number three, the old fashioned one, don't sexualize a relationship outside of marriage. That is so old fashioned. No sex before marriage. If you're not married, I mean, who even teaches that anymore? Always have, always will. And I've asked, you know, people in the crowds this question. I've asked many people, dozens of people this question. Hey, Has sex outside of marriage made your life better or has it made it more complicated? Has sex outside of marriage made the person you had sex with, did it make their life better or did it make their life more complicated? And honest people say, yeah, it's creating some complications. Well then, what do you expect your heavenly father to say who loves you and who loves the person whose life you may have set back? What do you think their heavenly father is going to say about sexual activity when oftentimes our sex outside of marriage makes you a liar for life because you're never going to tell the truth about your past because you're too ashamed? What did you expect? So this message is the same for everybody. Sex is for married people regarding marriage. And this feels weird even saying this. Just make sure everybody knows where we are. We talk about marriage or we talk about and teach about marriage the same way Jesus and the apostles did. Every instruction in the Bible regarding marriage references or assumes a husband and a wife, a man or a woman. So biblical marriage, biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. We've never shied away from that. We don't change the words in order not to offend people. Now, here's what may surprise all of us straight people. Gay attenders in our church, they aren't shocked by, they aren't shocked that we talk that way. They aren't shocked by that. They expect that. They grew up on that. They hoped for that. They pray for that. They pray that God would change them so they can experience that. I sat in small groups of gay men, 35 and up to 65, watched them weep because they don't have a family. They couldn't have a family. They prayed for that and God didn't answer their prayer. And many are convinced that traditional marriage is not an option for them. So they commit to living a chaste life. And for many men and women who put their faith in Christ, they just decide, okay, I'm just going to buckle down. I'm just going to bear down. I'm just going to be by myself and I'm not going to have family. I'm going to be sexually pure. And many, 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 many do that for long seasons of life. And for some, it's their whole life. But for many, that is not sustainable. So they choose a same-sex marriage, not because they're convinced it's biblical. They read the Bible the same we do. They choose to marry for the same reason many of us do. Love, companionship, and family. And in the end, as was the case for all of us, this is the important thing I want you to hear me say. It's their decision. Our decision is to decide how we respond to their decision. Our decision as a group of local churches is how are we going to respond to their decision. And we decided 28 years ago, we draw circles. We don't draw lines. We draw big circles. If someone desires to follow Jesus, regardless of their starting point, regardless of their past, regardless of their current circumstances, our message has been come and see, 
and come and sit with me. And this is not new. This is who we are, and we've always been. And this is why I love our church. And this is why I'm so extraordinarily proud of you. We aren't condoning sin. We are restoring relationships. And we are literally saving lives. So that's just an excerpt from the sermon that he delivered on October the 1st. So here's my initial reaction before we dig in a little bit further. You can, again, go listen to it for yourself. Reaction one. Much of this that I just read to you is what you would expect to hear, at least content-wise, from a conservative evangelical pastor, right? I mean, it, that, it, that sounds like pretty standard basic stuff, right? But also you should notice how he never said what he believes about marriage and sexual sin. It's always, we believe this. We teach this. Some more on that in a second. Also notice how he always frames, and he's done this for years now, LGBTQ plus actions as, you know, who these people are, not the choices that they choose to make. Because you could have a predisposition to homosexual attraction and not do anything about it. Right? Also, notice how he just slips in that many who he would categorize as gay Christians find staying chaste for life for the sake of Christ as, as he said, not sustainable. Okay? So he's giving them a, an out for sin, essentially. But just imagine if he said something like this. Some white supremacists can live lives devoid of racist actions, but for others, it's just not sustainable. Or some pedophiles can live lives devoid of raping children, but for others, mm, it's just not sustainable. Some abortionists can live lives devoid of murdering innocent children, but for others, gosh darn it, it's just not sustainable. It's where his pragmatism kind of smacks him in his face. And he mentioned several times during that audio that Jesus didn't draw lines, he drew circles. So he and North Point Community Church aren't going to draw lines, but instead circles. Now, <laughs> what he's obviously ignoring, I say ignoring because he clearly knows these things, but he's purposely not saying them. He's ignoring that Jesus literally drew lines all the time, all the time. He drew circles and lines, but he certainly drew lines between believers and unbelievers, between the religiously self-righteous and the religiously humble, right? Also, how far do you think Andy is willing to take this, you know, circles versus lines concept? I mean, I was, I was talking with uh, Ryan from The Forging Table, and he kind of brought this up, and then some other people did. Is he going to draw lines or circles with white supremacists? Is he going to draw lines or circles with pedophiles? Is he going to draw lines or circles with abortionists? Where exactly does this stop? And if you listen to the entire sermon, you should come away thinking two things. Number one, he is a master communicator. Like he is, a, that's why I was so attracted to what he was doing for so long, because his communication style is just incredible. But also you can come away thinking, God, this guy's a self-righteous prick. Like, my goodness. Like even how he ended that, that little, you know, snippet, oh, we're literally saving lives. It's like, goodness gracious. Can you self-aggrandize anymore? And, and again, these comments during his sermon, while still being ridiculous, they're not as severe as what many were fearing, right? Many who thought Andy was going to go, you know, full deconstruction, and, you know, may have even led you to believe that the conference wasn't as bad as many thought it would be. So with that, let's bring Protestia back to this. Because the day after they released the audio of Andy's sermon, they released part one of an expose on the Unconditional Conference. Now, they were able to write this expose because 
the guys that run that website drove across the country so that they could actually attend the unconditional conference in person. So as of the recording of this podcast, they have released two parts of the expose and a couple of other articles about the conference. Now, I'm not going to go through all the details. I'm just going to you know provide highlights. All that stuff will be in the show notes. You can check it out for yourself. But part one of the expose, they report that there was a very, very strong police presence inside and outside the event. Okay. Now, the, the funny thing about that is because of the content of the this particular event, why in the world were they scared? that somebody would come in and try to like throw a firebomb. Like that's what people that like what they were saying, those are not the people that, that you should be worried about, you know, picketing your event and disrupting your event. These people agree with you. So that was weird. Also, they said that you had to do ID verification to get into the event. And I have been to a ton of conferences and, you know, sales training things and all these things. I've never once had to provide ID to verify that. Yep. That's my name tag. And I please have it now. It's not very common, right? So this leads me to believe that they likely had a list of names of people that they didn't want there, okay? But let me read from the article here. Posters on the church walls and displayed prominently on projector screens warned against recording any of this conference, citing Georgia law which mandates fines and jail time. In conversation with conference organizers and volunteers, they stressed that security officers were in plain clothes, patrolling the halls and watching the events. In one session, a man was taking notes on his laptop, and within minutes, a volunteer told him he needed to put it away because it could record video or pick up audio. During our check-in, we heard security saying, or security talking, sharing their concerns about infiltrators and protesters. This is weird, because again, I've been to a lot of these types of events. I've never not been able to record audio, because I literally have a program on my iPad where as I'm taking notes, I can record audio. I can listen to the audio back and kind of know what notes I was taking at that time. And they wanted none of that. None of that. That's odd. Obviously, this is something to be concerned about, but we'll talk about it more later. But they also said in this article that they saw obviously trans-identifying people, so think, you know, dudes in dresses, in attendance. And there were lots of pride flags on clothing and keychains and journals and water bottles and stuff like that. And I'll go back to the article here. What struck us more than anything, however, is that throughout the conference, homosexuality as a standard moral and necessary theological good was assumed the entire time. Every talk, every breakout session, every conversation we uh, struck up with on our tape with our table mates, there was no hint or suggestion that homosexuality was a sin that must be repented of but rather a good that must be accepted. The overwhelming message was that children and family members who come out as gay or trans must be loved and supported, and that support includes affirming them for who they are in order to retain influence and a relationship with them. There was no question of how do we love and support our LGBTQ children while we still hold to our convictions. Instead, we were hammered with the claim that if we want to be in relationship with them, we need to lay aside those convictions and pick up more loving ones, ones that better reflected the heart of Jesus. All the speakers referred to their trans children by their trans names and personal pronouns. One session saw a panelist with a tear-stained face insisting that children need gender-affirming care, and another said that she knew or suspected her child was transgender at the age of three. One session saw a speaker explicitly arguing that homosexuality was not a sin, condemning the clobber verses by saying that none of them are taught in a serious exegetical way. Andy Stanley himself noted that the expression homosexuality is a sin makes no sense in light of children threatening to kill themselves, 
which is a concept permeated throughout the event and presented as a binary choice. If we don't affirm our LGBTQ kids, they will end their lives and we will lose them forever. So a lot of the things there, guys, you would expect to hear at a left-wing political rally, not at a church conference. But let's go to part two of the expose. They were doing a panel discussion of parents with trans-identifying children. I say trans-identifying because there's no such thing as trans, okay? There's XX and there's XY. Those are the only chromosomal, you know, uh, possibilities for people. You are either male or you are female, okay? So let's go to the article for part two of this expose. Oh, and by the way, before I say that, um, this is a panel that was led by Debbie Causey, okay? So she is a gay-affirming pastor and director of North Point's Care Network. So she's on the board of Renovus as well, as I've talked about. That's an LGBTQ-affirming activist group that was formed by North Point pastors and leaders designed to normalize homosexuality within the church, okay? So she insisted that a child's decision during this little panel discussion to take hormones is very misunderstood in the world right now. So this is, this is Kazi talking. For many of us and for our kids who take hormones to feel like themselves, this is medically necessary. This is life-saving. And so many in the culture treat it like it's some flippant thing. And also in the article, they talked about how she insisted that people need to come to grips with the reality that medical intervention is necessary for a person's well-being and healing, and that gender affirmation care is a treatment for gender dysphoria. It's shocking they even said gender dysphoria because obviously that leads to the fact that, hey, this is a medical issue inside the mind, not the body, right? Well, which the body is in the, the mind is in the body. You get what I'm saying. This is a mental disorder, not a physical one. Also back to the article, a major system theme was how the parents could gain influence and build stronger relationships. One panelist said that using their child's new personal pronouns helped them gain a foothold in their life, while another said that it was as simple as really loving them for who they are without trying to convert them with therapy or just preaching at them. Okay, so when you use your kid's new personal chosen pronouns, you're choosing to lie. That's why I hate you know, uh, pronoun hospitality. It's ridiculous. If someone's presenting as the opposite gender, whatever they say their name is, sure, call them that. You can't call them by opposite pronouns, though. That's making you a liar, causing you to sin. And also, this, this idea of really loving them as they are for who they are, if that's true, then we don't have a need for a gospel. You know, God did not need to send his son to die in our place so that there could be propitiation for our sins if God just loved us the way that we are, okay? And this idea that, you know, oh, we don't want to just preach at them. I mean, God, God forbid you did. God forbid you preached at them. And then we get to the main event. This is Andy Stanley speaking at the conference. So this, again, is according to reporting from Protestia. He joined Debbie Causey for the second main session at the conference. Okay, so here's a few tidbits that Andy gave. This is a quote from Andy Stanley here. Most of the negative feedback I get is from traditional evangelical Christians because I don't say things the right way. And they read between the lines, and that's okay. So he's taking a shot at what he would call traditional evangelical Christians, you know, like people that <laughs> read the Bible and think it's true, like that kind of a thing. But then also, he, he speaks unclearly on purpose. So that, that's an odd thing, that he's doing this on purpose, but hey, what can you expect with Andy Stanley? And back to the article here, Causey asks him what he thinks about parents who feel like they have to choose between their theology and their love for their kids. And Andy responds, Bad theology. He elaborates, and this is a quote, if your theology limits who you can minister to, then you definitely don't have the theology of Jesus. I mean, egregious thing for him to say. Let's go back to the article. To people always criticizing gay people and being judgmental towards them, this is a direct quote, 
One of these days, you're going to love an LGBTQ plus person. And in that moment, you're going to change. But you don't have to wait until then. Okay, so he's obviously pointing people at a particular direction. He's trying to personalize it. And he's trying to, again, take it away from theology and then just hide behind this relationship thing. But then there was a very, very egregious admission. And then this is according to the article here. Stanley says that he's had many conversations with gay people that were all raised in church. He says he's grateful for his Southern Baptist heritage, but the whole category, the whole topic is just a four-word response. Homosexuality is a sin. Stanley says that sort of response, homosexuality is a sin, works fine until your child comes out to you and suddenly it's irrelevant. And before long, you realize this sentence doesn't even make sense. <clears throat> That's a direct quote. He says the sentence, homosexuality is a sin, doesn't make sense, guys. Okay, back to the article. And I, this is a quote from Andy. And I still get this constantly. Andy, yes or no? We had a television network kick, off, uh, kick us off the air this year. Just yes or no, is homosexuality a sin? I'm not going to answer that question. We have to have new language that creates the potential for a sane, realistic dialogue regarding homosexuality. Because until we can change the language, we can't have a conversation. And this is when he was talking to parents at the conference who have gay children. You had four words. Homosexuality is a sin. That's your whole vocabulary. And when your child comes out and you have no vocabulary to even have the conversation, he says, you have to throw that away. Homosexuality is a sin because it's irrelevant in that moment. So your kid comes out as homosexual, homosexual and to, if you're a parent, guys, it's irrelevant to point that out. Back to the article. Stanley condemns evangelical and conservative churches for saying that people in the LGBTQ community are going to hell, arguing you should do a word study on hell and realize only Jesus uses it, and he doesn't mention any of this. <clears throat> now, that is horrifically stupid for a pastor that apparently went to seminary because he knows better. He knows better. We don't have this new revelation 2,000 years later because we did a word study on the word hell to think that, oh, no one's really going to end up there and being sexually immoral is not going to potentially send you to hell. He knows that, but again, he's, he's being, you know, evasive. Back to the article here as we wrap. In that context, he reveals, I've never talked about this, but the challenge is I can't make my personal thing the church thing. He says that there is a built-in tension and that Moeller's article, Al Moeller, and the conference and some other things that have brought it to a head and maybe they're at a tipping point. He says he's no martyr and that he's not trying to be a hero, but believes maybe he's here for such a time as this. So, man, Andy Stanley loves him some Andy Stanley. He's no martyr. He's not trying to be a hero, but gosh darn it, I think I was built for a time like this. Now. There's more reporting from Protestia concerning some of the other folks, and I'll just kind of leave that in the show notes. But then during this time period, um, I was looking at some of the work from Dr. Michael Brown. So Dr. Michael Brown, <clears throat> he's been going back and forth personally with Andy Stanley on this very issue since 2015. Okay, so he asked Andy Stanley to affirm these two statements, and I'll include, a, you know, one of Michael Brown's episodes where he kind of details this in the show notes. But he wanted Andy Stanley to affirm these two statements. Homosexual practice is always sinful in God's sight, and under no circumstances will God bless a same-sex relationship. Andy Stanley refused to respond to those statements. Again, the statements, homosexual practice is always sinful in God's sight, and under no circumstances will God bless a same-sex relationship. So the final response that uh, Andy Stanley gave to Michael Brown when he was talking about this was this, and this is 
He said, basically, why don't you concentrate on what God's burdened you to do and let me concentrate on my calling? And then this, this is a direct quote from Andy Stanley to Dr. Michael Brown. There are times when ministry preempts clarity. Think about that. Andy Stanley said, there are times when ministry preempts clarity, which shows you that Andy Stanley is purposefully communicating in a manipulative, evasive way about the subject. Now, Dr. Brian, Dr. Brown rightfully called him to immediate repentance. And you, do you want to guess if Andy repented? Now, again, I'll post the video so you can check it out for yourself. Then Al Mohler, he wrote a response to Andy Stanley's response to Al Mohler. Okay, so again, bravo to Albert Mohler for coming out so boldly against Andy Stanley. Again, I wish more prominent pastors and evangelicals would come out and directly call out the heresy within their midst. I will provide that article in the show notes as well so you guys can check it out. But I want to move on to some overall thoughts here. The first thought here is you don't try to hide audio, again, try to hide audio and video of the speeches that you're ashamed by. Like, imagine me recording an episode of this podcast and then hiding it, not wanting anyone to have access to it. You know what? I'm just going to perform this podcast in front of a handful of people, but then not release it to anybody because they didn't live stream the unconditional conference. They didn't even allow that as an option. They didn't allow recording inside the unconditional conference. They didn't live stream Andy Stanley's sermon responding to the controversy the Sunday after the conference, which begs the question, why not? I mean, it's not like that conference was like behind a paywall. Like that's not a concern because yeah, typically if you can't attend the conference in person, you can get a lowered rate to attend the conference vir virtually. But then, you know, if you attend it virtually, you know, maybe guys can, you know, record their screen and then all the content's going to be out there for the public to see. So they, I think they did that so that they could have plausible deniability about what they actually said. And again, that's what they initially did. The funny thing about that is you can actually find the video and the audio of that sermon that Andy gave now. But it wasn't there initially. So some people are like, oh, you know, they, they were going to put it out. They were always going to put it out. But they put it out after the outcry from the public wanting to see the message that Andy gave from the pulpit. Again, Protestia gave us the audio, but then North Point releases it after several days of people being like, why in the world are you hiding this? But they still haven't released any video or the audio from the Unconditional Conference. Another thought I have on this is, if all else fails, follow the money. Follow the money. So, Andy Stanley says that North Point hasn't changed at all on their beliefs on this issue. But, North Point is also the largest donor to the organization Embracing the Journey, which is a nonprofit that is gay affirming and that they put on the Unconditional Conference. So it's like you say one thing with your mouth, but then you literally fund your supposed enemies. Kind of reminds me of the United States government and what's currently happening in Israel with Hamas funded by Iran. Also, another thought on this is it is maddening to see someone be so cocksure and wrong at the same time. Now, Andy Stanley, he's, he's very sure of himself. He's an arrogant guy, all those types of things. Well, I think you could also say the same thing about me, if I'm being honest, because I come on here and I give you my fervent opinions on a lot of different subject matters, and I don't really vacillate between black and white. I don't hang out in the gray area. I'm pretty cocksure as well, right? But I'm open to rebuke and correction. I've talked about that repeatedly on the show. If you don't like something that I said because of the tone I said it in, I don't, I don't really care about your email complaining. But if I say something that is factually inaccurate, it's incumbent upon you to point that out to me. 
But here, this guy is being called to repentance, and it's being pointed out that the way he's operating is not biblical and not beneficial to the flock. He doesn't care because he's Andy Stanley. Another thought is, you know what we're not hearing at all from Andy Stanley, from his pulpit, or any of the speakers from this conference? We're not hearing that people that choose to sin in a homosexual manner need to repent of their sins. Also, we haven't been hearing that people that are struggling with their so-called gender identity don't need to be blindly validated, but they need to be lovingly corrected. We don't, we don't see any of that. No calls to repentance and no calls for people to lovingly push back on the sinful ideologies that have permeated the people that they are in relationship with. Also, Andy Stanley refuses to be clear on this issue. I've said it over and over. I mean, it wouldn't be hard for him to do so because, again, he's a master communicator, but he's refusing to. Maybe it's because he's a snake, which is obviously what I think he is, and more on that here in a second. But I also think he doesn't want the gravy train of his ministry to end. I mean, the, the guy's worth eight figures. He's built one of the largest churches to ever exist in the United States. He doesn't want that gravy chain to run out. He knows that he if, if he aligns himself with culture, he'll always have a golden parachute. But this is why I'm calling this episode Andy Stanley, the circle drawing snake. Because Andy Stanley is a circle drawing snake. So you have to ask yourself, what is a snake like? Well, a snake is deceptive. Because apparently, Andy Stanley is communicating one thing as the position of his church and refusing to communicate what his position is. He's, it's not doublespeak. It's not splitting the baby. He's being purposely deceptive. Also, what is a snake like? A snake is manipulative. I've seen videos literally of snakes that are literally manipulating other animals to get them within striking distance. He's manipulative because he's communicating one thing from the pulpit which is the same exact pulpit that just days before that was used by practicing homosexuals and an array of LGBTQ plus affirming people to communicate the exact opposite message that he espoused in front of his congregation. That is direct manipulation of your flock. What is a snake like? A snake is also deadly. So he's drawing big old circles around people, right? He's, he's, he's telling the world. People that are not being rebuked for their sin, but being affirmed in it, he's drawing big circles around them, and they are being denied the call to repentance that comes from faith in Christ, which provides eternal life. <clears throat> so you're drawing big circles around people, and you're not calling them to a true gospel. You're calling them to be affirmed in their sin, and they will feel no need to rely on Christ because they've been convinced by you that God's just going to love them no matter what. He loves them the way that they are. If he made you this way, why would he want you to turn away from that? Maybe because his glory is more important than your feelings? And Andy Stanley's job is to make sure that these people have faith in the gospel and repent from their sins. But he's lost the thread. So. To Andy Stanley, I see you. I see you for what you really are. You are a snake. You are a false teacher. I call you to repentance. I will continue to call you out for your heresy until you repent. And if you do not, 
I pray that God will remove your ministry from you permanently in whichever way that he sees fit. All right, guys, before we get to the quick hitters, if you're anything like me, you at least try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but you can't always duct tape your way into fixing everything in your life, okay? And while it's good to maybe look for other ways to pull things off, in many circumstances, that thing will literally lead to you wasting a lot of your time and a lot of your money that could have otherwise been spent on your business or on your family. So that is especially true when it comes to information technology and data security. So that's why I want to introduce you to my friends at LMS Tech. So LMS Tech is an IT security company that can help you and your business with all kinds of IT headaches. So let's talk about it. Network installs, configurations, security and monitoring, server setup and maintenance, cloud data storage, email management security, antivirus management, the industry-specific compliance like HIPAA and financial stuff and credit card stuff, and even custom software implementation like HR tools and CRM. So while you focus on making your business successful, I want you to let LMS Tech secure your IT. I literally trust LMS Tech with all of our IT here at Undaunted Life for the security of my business, so I think that you should give them a try as well. So to receive your free IT and data security assessment, visit this website, getsecurity.tech. That's getsecurity.tech. Do not risk your data ending up in the wrong hands. Invite the experts in to protect your business. Again, the site is getsecurity.tech. That's getsecurity.tech to get your free assessment. That is in the show notes. All right, big drink of water. Let's hit the first quick hitter here. Trevor Bauer having his professional baseball career destroyed by a conniving, manipulative, gold-digging whore. Okay, so if you don't know who Trevor Bauer is, Trevor Bauer very recently was one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Okay, so this is a guy that was highly touted coming out. I think it was UCLA, and then he had uh, come to the major leagues. I think he was with Cleveland, and then he was with uh, the uh, Cincinnati Reds whenever he had his Cy Young season, like his best season of his career in 2020. So after that season, he signed a nine-figure deal to go to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, they're throwing money all over the place. But then in 2021, in his first year of his deal, there was a story that came out of an alleged sexual assault committed by him. Okay. Now, immediately MLB did the right thing and they put him on administrative leave. Okay. Because administrative leave is not a suspension because I think it's okay while the dust is settling in the immediacy to be like, Hey, we need to be cautious here. Hey, we're not saying that you actually did this, but we just need to get our ducks in a row here. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But then he was suspended. Okay. There were no criminal, um, what's the best way to say this? Um, he had been charged with these crimes initially, but then there was no, they didn't find him guilty. Uh, there was really not a whole lot of evidence to find him guilty, but MLB suspended him anyway. Now, remember, MLB is not a law enforcement body. They're just their own organization. But then as they were doing their internal investigation, the suspension for Trevor Bauer kept being extended and extended, and extended. And then MLB, again, not a law enforcement agency, they concluded their own internal investigation into this matter, and they decided to suspend Trevor Bauer for two full seasons, okay? Which, considering his age and where he was in his career, is almost like a death sentence for your career. Because what they said, it violated their domestic violence policy. So they do their own investigation, okay? This will look terrible here in a second. And they say that Trevor Bauer violated the domestic violence policy. But there's a young man named Marcelo Zuna, who's currently playing in the playoffs with the Atlanta Braves, unless they get you know swept before uh, this podcast comes out. He got a 20-game suspension, 20-game suspension, 
for violating MLB's domestic violence policy. So not a two-year suspension. So that's, you know, like 300-something games, a 20-game suspension. Now, you might think to yourself, what is the big difference between what supposedly Trevor Bauer did and what Marcelo Zuna did? Trevor Bauer must have done something way, way worse. Well, in this case with Marcelo Zuna, police officers actually witnessed Marcelo Zuna attacking his wife. They were there. He was beating her and choking her when the police arrived. So perhaps an important note for those of you that don't know, Trevor Bauer is a white guy that has expressed support for Trump, and Marcelo Zuna is a person of color. Perhaps that's significant in this case, but I'll digress. But then a couple of weeks ago, Trevor Bauer released a video of him talking to his phone, and <clears throat> this video was incredible because he said, hey, this is the first time in two years I've been able to talk about this issue. I've been under gag order uh, during this legal process. And I'll, I'll put that, that video in the show notes because it's very, very important for you to watch it. But he basically went through the accusation that this woman made against him and said that she was, she was wrong. They withheld discovery from him and his legal team that, you know, uh, the woman tried to put a, um, a restraining order on him, but it wasn't granted in California and how that's super rare, how this girl took video of herself, like the morning after he was, she had allegedly been brutally beaten and battered by Trevor Bauer. And here she is just smiling into the camera, no marks on her face, no marks on her neck, any of those types of things. She seems to be enjoying herself, but also text messages that she sent back and forth with her friends saying that she was targeting Trevor Bauer because she knew that he was worth lots and lots, millions and millions of dollars and what she was going to do to kind of get her hooks in this guy. Okay. Now, when it comes to this hashtag me too stuff or, you know, claims of racism or police violence towards people of color, all that kind of stuff, as I talked about from the top of the episode, the presumption of innocence should be there, but it's currently non-existent. So it, we live in a time where it's guilty until proven innocent. And even then, we're just going to pretend like they're actually guilty. So that's kind of what's happening with Trevor Bauer right now, because this video is not being refuted by this woman or her legal team. They basically came to an agreement where he sued her, she countersued him, but they came to an agreement that no money would, would pass uh, from one party to the other, but that both of them had to drop their suits and not have any future suits. Okay? So this is a terrible situation where Trevor Bauer was targeted by this woman for destruction, and she almost got away with it. <clears throat> now, Trevor Bauer, in terms of what I think, I think that he should sue Major League Baseball. He should sue the Dodgers. He should sue every so-called journalist and news outlet that defamed him without evidence because MLB gave him a two-year suspension based on bogus claims from this stupid skank. The Los Angeles Dodgers just went along with it so that they could get out of paying him the nine figures that he was owed, right? Because MLB contracts are guaranteed. And all these journalists that just ran with these things, there has to be an accountability for that. So I think Trevor Bauer should really hammer that home. Also, I think that Trevor Bauer should be signed by an MLB team in 2024. He's been playing in Japan the last couple of years, but he deserves to be signed by some team in 2024. But that's very likely not going to happen. You know, I, I kept thinking about Michael Vick during the situation after he served two years in Leavenworth for the, the dog fighting stuff and the animal cruelty stuff. He was signed. I think, well, what was it? The, the Eagles or the Steelers? It was one of those teams gave him a chance. And all these people were like, oh, that's crazy. He's a terrible, awful person. Yeah, he also paid his debt to society for the crime that he actually committed. But here's Trevor Bauer that actually didn't commit a crime. There's probably not going to be an MLB team that's going to touch him. If the Cardinals decide to sign him, yeah, great. That, that's great. Let's have him on here. 
Also, a lot of people pointed this out, but this was immediately where my head went. We need laws in this country for false accusers that would punish them. This woman should absolutely receive the penalty that Trevor Bauer would have gotten if he had been found guilty. Because she alleged that he brutally, anally raped her and choked her, right? Serious accusations, as if he was a part of Hamas or something like that. So what, is, what does that carry? <clears throat> you know, decades-long sentence? She should absolutely get the sentence that he would have gotten. And before you're like, wait, there's no biblical grounds for that. There actually is in the book of Esther. So chapters five and six. So this is Haman. He actually devised this diabolical scheme to get Mordecai hanged by making false accusations. But his false accusations were sniffed out. Haman was actually hung, interesting, interestingly, from the very gallows that he built in order to hang Mordecai unjustly. So a lot to this story, but I'm going to go ahead and go to my big takeaways here. There's two of them. Number one, <clears throat> fellas, listening to this. Please stop having sex with sluts. May seem like a rough way to say it, but there's not another way that you could categorize, categorize this woman. Maybe a diabolical slut. How about that? Because here's the thing. If a girl that you meet on, you know, some dating app or in a bar somewhere or a club, if a girl tells you right after she meets you that she wants you to bang her, hit her, choke her, and put it in her butt, that's probably a human being that you need to make sure that you never see nor talk to ever again. Some of you guys are into that kind of stuff, but maybe this should give you a hint that there's some ulterior motives here. So stop doing that, guys. Which leads directly to my second big takeaway. Trevor Bauer is partially, perhaps mostly, responsible for this situation. He chose to engage in a sexual relationship with this obvious crazy person because maybe he's like, Oh, this girl's a freak and I want to get my rocks off and this is going to be a great situation. No big deal. This is on Trevor Bauer <clears throat> because if Trevor Bauer is living a chase life or if he was married to one woman and only having sex with that woman, he's not in this situation at all. The moment you decide to violate God's design for sex and marriage, like, you should expect something like this to befall you. So there are men in this audience that I know they're professional athletes or they're big-time business people or all that. These women are prowling around looking for men to devour. Why would you give them that idea? Or why would you give them that opportunity, rather? So I guess God's design for marriage has some merits now, doesn't it? Don't have sex unless you're married and only have sex with your wife, and you're going to avoid a lot of this. All right, next quick hitter here, Paw Patrol featuring a non-binary character. So this is according to LGBTQ Nation. A spinoff of the mega-popular computer-animated kids series Paw Patrol has introduced the franchise's first non-binary character. While the original Nickelodeon series centers on a team of search-and-rescue dogs, Rubble and Crew focuses on English bulldog pup Rubble, voiced now in the series by Lux and Handspiker, who takes on a variety of construction projects. In a recent episode, Rubble and his crew meet River, a skateboarding photography-obsessed kid who tasks them with building an observatory so they can photograph a shooting star. <clears throat> Excuse me. As Pink News notes, the episode, The Crew Builds an Observatory, never explicitly addresses River's gender identity or their pronouns. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, following its August 21st U.S. premiere, the episode's writer, Linz Amer, made it clear that River is the Paw Patrol universe's first ever non-binary character. An author, screenwriter, activist, and performer, 
Amer is a creator and co-founder of Queer Kid Stuff, a website that features kid-friendly video series discussing LGBTQ plus topics, as well as resources for parents and educators. In a September 2nd Instagram post, Amer <clears throat> revealed that Rubble and Cruise producers brought them on to consult on the Paw Patrol franchise's first non-binary character and write the episode in which they were introduced. Talk about a bucket list item, Amer wrote. I wanted to create a non-binary character that was as aspirational and incredibly cool, someone for the pups and the kids at home to look up to, they continued. So here's the thing on a story like this, guys. They're just not hiding the ball anymore. They're not just coming for your kids' attention anymore by creating really visually stimulating content. They're coming for their moral codes. That's why they're doing this. They're subtly putting these messages in, and over time, as we're seeing now, there's, they're losing all subtlety. So it's always, oh, we have two gay dinosaurs that are looking after an egg. Oh, we have this non-binary character. Oh, and Peppa the pig, two of the moms from the house that the, the stupid pig's going over to. It's got two moms, right? No dad, that kind of thing. So, and with something like this, it just kind of reminds me, where are all the I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against people? Where, where are they at on this one? They're always so quiet. They're really, really loud when anyone that's a conservative evangelical starts to say, yeah, these things are bad. We shouldn't do this. Oh, you shouldn't be talking like this. You're, you're being unnecessarily divisive. But on something like this, mom, they got nothing to say. So my big takeaway on this, if you continue to support Paw Patrol, so I'm talking directly to the dads here with little ones. <clears throat> if you continue to support the Paw Patrol universe uh, and or Rubble and Crew, by allowing your children to watch these shows and buy the merch, you deserve the confusion from your children that will be a downstream consequence of your lazy parenting. And listen, I get it. You want to be able to just, you know, get a few things done, pay a few bills, take care of a few things in the garage so you just set your kid down in front of the television. <clears throat> I get it. But you're putting them in front of messages that are going to be contrary to the worldview that you're purporting and the environment that you're wanting to raise them in. Why are you doing that? You should vet these shows before you let your kids watch them, all of them. It's not going to take you that long. Like, and again, you're, you're putting them in front, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, you're putting them in front of this content. It is a big deal. Some of you think, oh, well, you know, the kid was just wearing, you know, the trans flag colored socks, and, you know, he's, he's non-binary. Kids don't even know what that means. They're being molded by the culture. And if you let them consume this content, you're allowing it. I don't feel bad for you if your kid comes out confused. This is your fault. Okay, next quick hitter here. President Biden's absolutely egregious tweet about thoughts and prayers. So this was posted on the at POTUS Twitter account. I'm not calling it X, the at POTUS Twitter account. This was at 7 a.m. on September the 22nd of this year. Because thoughts and prayers are not enough, at VP and I just created the first White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. So he could have said the second part. And I just created the first White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. Not that that's going to do anything because there's nothing the federal government could actually do to change people's hearts and their desire to kill other people. But it's obviously that first part because thoughts and prayers are not enough. The Biden administration, aside from being just awful at everything, they're trying to tell you look, we're completely disregarding thoughts and prayers. We don't need them. We don't, we don't want them. Why? Because <clears throat> we're the federal government. We have all your tax dollars and we have the military 
So we can do anything. Put your trust in us. When I saw this, I, I thought it was a, a fake tweet, but it was obviously a real tweet. It was a, a real post from President Biden. This is an atheistic, uh, I wanted to say organization, which, you know, the Biden crime family is an organization, but this is an atheistic administration. They are belittling people that would pray because as I talked about, even in Sunday school here recently, sometimes all you have is prayer. Like with my voice, it was like, well, I saw the doctors and the surgeons and all that, but I was just kind of left after the rehab and after all that different stuff to just pray, God, can you help me? Do you want my voice to be fixed? If so, let's get after it. So the big takeaway here on this one is actually just a scripture, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, for whatever one sows, they will also reap. They're mocking God. They're mocking Christians. They're mocking prayer. I don't think it's going to work out for them in the end. All right, next quick hitter here. RFK Jr. indicating that he plans to launch an independent bid for the 2024 presidential election. So uh, we were expecting maybe Monday or Tuesday of this week to actually get an official announcement. By the time this episode comes out, there might be an official announcement. But obviously, with the stuff uh, going on in Israel, everyone's kind of taking a back seat. But this is according to Politico. A super PAC supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has begun polling his support as an independent. One of the strongest indications to date that the long-shot Democrat is set to announce a party affiliation switch. The poll, conducted by the firm John Zogby Strategies and commissioned by the American Values 2024 PAC, comes amid growing speculation, fueled by Kennedy himself, that he will leave the Democratic Party in the upcoming weeks. But what the PAC found is its, in its survey may be as notable as the tea leaves around a switch itself. Kennedy, as an independent, would pull more support away from Republican Donald Trump than Democrat Joe Biden, according to the findings. So right to the big takeaway on this one. Of course, this helps Joe Biden more than it does Trump. Are you kidding? Of course it does. Those findings are not the least bit surprising because people are like, well, wait a minute. Like this is, you know, RFK Jr. He's, he's going directly against Joe Biden because he's running as a Democrat, right? But you have to ask yourself, who is he going to pull support from? Go back to Ross Perot. This guy was a guy that had conservative leanings and so when George H.W. Bush was, was representing the Republican Party, the 20% or so that he pulled off, a, uh, off of uh, the two candidates mainly came from George H.W. Bush's support, not Bill Clinton's support. That's why Bill Clinton was president. That's why the Clintons are even a thing right now, because of Ross Perot. And this is the exact setup. You have to ask yourself, do you know any Biden supporter that is going to peel off and vote for RFK if he's an independent? Because I don't know that that person actually exists. All the people that I know that like RFK Jr., they're kind of Trumpy. They're conservative folks. These are people that maybe don't like Trump that much, but then they could vote for this RFK guy because gosh darn it, he sure made sense on the Joe Rogan experience. So if he does actually run as a third party, that super duper helps Trump. Another reason why electing Trump or as the, the nominee for the Republican Party is not a great idea. He's got so many things stacked against him. This would be another one. I've heard about Cornell West running, like no one's going to vote for Cornell West. I've heard about this, you know, uh, what, no no borders policy. Or I can't remember the, the name. It's like the, the no, I can't remember what it is. But people are talking about uh, Joe Manchin running and different things like that. That's not going to hurt Joe Biden, okay? Most of these things hurt Trump. Another reason why making him the nominee is foolish if you actually want Biden out of the White House. Okay, next quick hitter here. California Governor Gavin Newsom's surprising veto of AB 957. So if you remember back on episode 499 of this podcast, I talked about California's AB 957, 
which would require judges to take into account whether a parent affirms a child's gender identity or gender expression when determining custody, right? Now, at that time, it had passed the California State House and Senate and was heading to Governor Newsom's desk. Everyone on the planet, yours truly included, thought that he would sign it immediately the moment it hit his desk because he's one of the most left-leaning, child genital mutilating, supporting politicians in American public life. But I was wrong. So this is according to Gavin Newsom himself in a letter that he released from his official office. To the members of the California State Assembly, I am returning Assembly Bill 957 without my signature. This legislation would require a court when determining the best interests of a child in a custody, a child custody or visitation proceeding to consider, among other comprehensive factors, a parent's affirmation of the child's gender identity or gender expression. I appreciate the passion and values that led the author to introduce this bill. I share a deep commitment to advancing the rights of transgender Californians, an effort that has guided my decisions through many decades in public office. That said, I urge caution when the executive and legislative branches of state government attempt to dictate in prescriptive terms that single out one characteristic legal standards for the judicial branch to apply. Other-minded elected officials in California and other states could very well use the strategy to diminish the civil rights of vulnerable communities. Moreover, a court under existing law is required to consider a child's health and safety and welfare when determining the best interests of a child in these proceedings, including the parent's affirmation of the child's gender identity. For these reasons, I cannot sign this bill. Sincerely, Gavin Newsom. Okay, so a couple things real quick on that message. He talked about the child's gender identity and gender expression. Obviously, that's just left-wing language. There's no such thing as a gender identity or gender expression. You are just your gender. You are your sex. But then he talks about how he appreciates the passion and the values. So he's signaling that he agrees with the contents of the law. So why not just approve it? But he also said, I, <clears throat> I agree with this deep commitment to advancing the rights of transgender Californians. Obviously, he means that. But then this line was so <laughs> ridiculous. I urge caution when the executive and legislative branches of state government attempt to indicate in prescriptive terms that single out one characteristic legal standards for judicial branch to apply. When has Gavin Newsom been concerned about judicial overreach? As it pertains to the executive and legislative branch, he's literally weaponizing the courts of California to get his executive and legislative things through. What, what exactly is he talking about? Well, he, he's a liar. So that's, that's part of it. But then he also talks about the, you know, the health, safety and welfare of the child as if cutting off the, the healthy breast tissue or the penis of a little child is actually going to help them. But my big takeaway on this is dude is running for president. <laughs> he is absolutely running for president. He's sitting around waiting on Joe Biden to die. Maybe even he'll, he'll run anyway. The reason that he did not sign this so that it would go into law in California is because he has to do something to seem sort of centrist. Because if he's going to run for president, he has to seem sort of centrist because he knows the majority of parents across the United States are going to look at this and go, what? You're going to do what now? <clears throat> You're going to allow some diabolically evil woman to convince her little boy that he's a little girl just so she can stick it to the father of the child during the court proceedings? And that this people don't really have a stomach for that, at least not right now. So I certainly think he's running for president. The Democrats know they're in trouble. Joe Biden is an absolutely horrific, terrible president. Kamala Harris would somehow be worse. Again, I don't think that Joe Biden loses to Donald Trump. I think he loses to just about every other Republican candidate. But he is just standing by waiting for his shot. All right. Last quick hitter of the day. I know it's a long one today, but here we go. 
famous tattoo artist Kat Von D renouncing witchcraft and accepting Christ. So this is according to today. Kat Von D is beginning a new chapter of her life. On October the 3rd, the famed tattoo artist and LA Inc. star posted a video of her getting baptized on Instagram more than a year after she announced that she was giving up witchcraft. The clip, which is captioned only with the sign of a cross, captures some of the people at the baptism while angelic music plays before the camera settles in on her. Catherine von Drakenberg, Drakenberg, I hope, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to his divine command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the pastor says before dunking her in the baptismal pool. She then hugs the pastor while those in attendance applaud. In July of 2022, Von D shared a photo of tarot cards and several books on witchcraft while revealing she was giving up her interest in macabre subject matters. So in addition to this, I know that Kat Von D left California. I think she was living in Los Angeles. And a couple of years ago, she moved to Indiana, small town, Indiana. And so it seemed like she was detoxing from the world that she was steeped in. Because, yeah, I have a lot of tattoos, but people that are like in the tattoo community, this can be a very, very dark place, right? They don't just kind of look crazy. Some of these people believe really, really crazy things. And so she was dabbling in witchcraft and the occult, these satanic types of things. But then as soon as she got out of this hub of just Sodom and Gomorrah-esque actions of Los Angeles, moves to a small town in Indiana, she finds Christ. Or Christ finds her, whatever your preferred language is. But my big takeaway here on this one is you are never too depraved for the blood of Christ. For all intents and purposes, most people that have ever been around Kat Mondi found her to be a very charming young lady. Like, you know, <clears throat> we all have our faults, but she wasn't this like horrible, terrible person. But she certainly made some very sinful decisions and believed some very satanic ideologies in her life. And you might think to yourself, well, God can't save her. Some of you think that tattoos in and of themselves are sinful. And God help you. Uh, let, me, let me help you read the Bible real quick. But the thing that is so interesting is people will look at that video and see the piercings and the tattoos and think, oh, man, she can't be saved. I mean, this is a young lady. I think she's in her late 30s, early 40s. She's a mother now. And Christ just snatched her up. And so to anyone in my audience today that's thinking to themselves, man, God can't save me. I've done too many bad things. I've hurt way too many people. I've destroyed my body. Kat Von D should be inspiration to you to actually look at the Gospels and see that when Jesus died, determine whether or not that somehow counted for you. This would be a great thing for you to think through, perhaps the most important thing that you could ever think through. All right, guys, a quick resilience boost is what we're going to give you before we let you out of here. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link to where you can set up your own free personal and or business financial assessment with Mike McCall of Bluecrest Financial. I've also got the getsecurity.tech link here to where you can get your free IT and data security assessment from LMS Tech. I've got links to where you can check out Origin stuff. Obviously, you can still check out the Primal Beef Company, the official beef delivery partner of Undaunted Life. Promo codes are there. And then obviously everything else that we talked about today, including the donation page where you guys can hop in on the knife raffle.
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetual which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>